Hello everybody, welcome back to this episode of Big Noises from Media Voices, and it's one that I know you have been looking forward to for quite some time. Who are you? I am Peter Houston. And I'm Chris Sutcliffe, and who did you talk to on this week's episode? Mr. Rafa Ali. Um, Rafa is the CEO and founder of Skift, a B2B travel site. It sounds like it's not saying enough because they do more than just content on the web. Well, you've been looking forward to talking to Rafa for a long time because he's never held back on his own opinions about things. No, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a very considered guy. He's not like ranting, um, <laughs> but uh, he has opinions and it was, it was good to hear them. It was good to actually dig into some of them. Um, I mean, people, people that have listened to the podcast and people that follow media know Rafa. He's been around a long time, way back to the paid content days which was a site a blog actually he describes it as a blog that he started uh, which they grew to the point that the Guardian bought them mm-hmm. uh, and then he took a couple of years and he went travelling I guess and then came back and set up Skift as B2B travel service well like um, not to give too much away right but he actually talks about paid content and what the Guardian did with it and he says that that's very, if, in a lot of ways representative of what you know has happened to content online is that people don't understand the purpose of it or its identity yeah. and he's really sort of trying to double down on finding out what skift is and making sure that people recognize that so he talks about skift as a premium b2b brand and that's not like oh i'm blowing my own trumpet or whatever that's an aspiration for him i think he's achieved that and i would mm. argue that he would say that he's achieved it but it's not like oh we're the best we're better than everyone else it's just like we're doing this in a particular way. We're not just putting content out. We're always with an eye on quality. Yeah. Um, and and the other thing that you talked about was relevance. So that's that's how he defines premium: is that, that something is quality. Quality always matters. Detail always matters. Um, but also this idea of relevance. And what one of the things that I thought was interesting that he said was he, he's not a guy that follows the data particularly. I, I edited it. And the fact that you pointed that out makes me go, God, he did say that. Yeah, because that's so anathema to a lot of digital publishing strategies right now. Well, as we're always being told, follow the data, the data's got the answers. But And it does. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't argue that data is not important. But I also think instinct is important. And the one thing that I would say Rafa has brought to everything that he's done that I've ever seen uh, is, that, is that really, really good instincts. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, you know, tied to that, he's talked in the past about the problems of VC money or private equity money. Um, and one of the things that he says is wrong with too much on modern media is that they raise too much money. Mm. He's been quite um, cautious in terms of taking money into the business. He says they've, they've got investors, um, but he's never gone out and raised a bunch of money. Because he feels that by raising that money and bringing outsiders in, you'll lose control. So the gut feel thing gets diluted. Obviously, we use big noises to kind of focus on dissenting voices and really to call yeah. out some bad practice in the media industry. How mad is it that the <laughs> the revolutionary approach that he's taking is not going for the big score immediately? Yeah, but, and he talks about well, he talks about why he he doesn't want to do that but he also talks about the implications of that and the implication is slower growth mm. 
you know, you're not on that trajectory that's driven by ROI. You're on a trajectory, as he sees it, and I, I'd probably agree, that's more sustainable because it's based on that idea of relevance. It's based on the idea of quality. It's based on the idea of delivering something of real value rather than scale. Mm. If everything's scale, then you tend to, to, to lose sight maybe of what's at the core of what you're trying to do. And he, he also mentions the fact that, I mean, this is you've been banging this drum for years and years, that mix of six about having mm. multiple different revenue streams. And he's yep. not talking about just having a subscription-based business, but an intelligence one, an events-based one as well, which is, on the face of it, it's such common sense. And yet it really does feel like, to some extent, that is booking a lot of trends in, in media at the moment. And I think that's because, as he says at the beginning of this, it's hard, right? Media is hard. None of this is easy. And if you've got one successful business stream, the temptation <laughs> is to stick with it, not to say, oh, let's do this and let's add this on and let's do all these other things because it's hard work. It's, it's hard work, hard yeah. Work. You're sticking your neck out in a lot of cases. Well, the one the thing he said about that was they had a couple of, they went off in a couple of, which I guess now are tangents, but at the time <laughs> seemed like uh, add-ons or, or line extensions. They went into health and well-being and they went into restaurants and they shut them down because they didn't add what they thought they were going to add to the business. And I think there's a bravery in that. There's a bravery in saying, oops, um, that's not for us. His starting point with that was 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 really cool. He says he takes this kind of Zen Buddhist attitude to it. I don't think he is a Buddhist, but he takes the Zen Buddhist attitude. Uh, if you can't control it, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, it's not going to go away just because you're stressing. Um, but on the on the sort of upside or positive side, he says he's never thought about, oh, this would be a good way of replacing people. Well, thank God for um, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what they've done, they've done some really interesting things. Again, um, they went out and they've used AI to, to do the things that we've heard so much about, generating headlines, improving SEO scores, whatever it is. But they also train their own large language model mm. with their content and publicly available traffic content, uh, travel, sorry, blah, blah, blah. with their content and I think publicly available travel content. Um, and they've made that available as an app to their subscribers. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's, that's clever, right? It's a benefit of membership. They're, they're not saying this is the best thing ever, mm. like so many people that work in AI pretend. <laughs> All the crypto bros that moved over to AI. It's just an extension of Web3. You know, we weren't wrong in getting all into NFTs. It was just that, you know, it was an early step along the road to AI. Do you know what would be really interesting? You know those kind of family trees that people do with all sorts of stuff? You know, they do it with rock and roll and they do it with comedy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Where they, they draw a line between the different comedy shows. What would be really interesting would be drawing a line between all the tech innovations and all the bros that chased that path. Oh, that'd be great. Because you you also get those like estranged parts of the family as well. Where people go, <laughs> okay. I, you know what? I think I deserve some of the inheritance. Um, I can see, you know, I was around a little bit. The cousins that got kept in the, in the attic. <laughs> Uh, no, so their attitude, I think, to AI is, is is very practical, very pragmatic, and very interesting because I think there's something in that idea of training it on your content to deliver 
again, comes back to idea of relevance to deliver content that is relevant to the people that, that you have as subscribers. So yeah, it was, it was, he's a joy to talk to. He's such a nice man as well as being a very smart man. Well, just before we get on to that, we're going to take a moment just to pay the bills and say thank you to Glide Publishing Platform for the support for this episode with Rafat and for the entire Big Noises series. Mm-hmm. If you don't know them yet, they are a content management system for publishers, which means you don't need to get involved with all the software, having to get up to your elbows under the bonnet, so you can just set, spend that time and money on actually doing the things that matter to you and your audiences. So they do content management for publishers of all sizes. You can just get on with running titles and actually doing that content that matters. So if you want to know more about them, have a look at gpp.io. Thank you to Glide, not just for their support this episode, but for their support for the entire series. It's been really, really fun. It has been. That image, man, up to your elbows. I don't, that's just a veterinary analogy to me, and I just don't, oh, really? want, I don't want it in my head. I really don't. <laughs> I was thinking it in terms of uh, mechanics, because my granddad no, was a mechanic and engineer. Yeah, <laughs> He went straight to uh, oh, helping I've a cow birth. Cattles and <laughs> Cattles. Cattles. How did you begin your conversation with Rafat? As always, I asked him how he began um, his media career, and actually, he didn't. It was he was a computer <laughs> engineer, um, which was interesting. So yeah, I started just by asking him how he started out in this crazy game. Yeah, I'm a journalist turned media entrepreneur. Actually, I'm a computer engineer turned journalist turned media entrepreneur, a relatively rare um, uh, combination where people usually go from journalism media into tech because that seems to be more lucrative. I've done the opposite, and so which is a story of my life, which happy to get into. But I have uh, I've always been interested in covering media. The business of media advertising, that was my first B2B media job was in India at what was the ad age of India in 1997 or yeah, 98. Uh, moved very early into into a covering internet, 97, 98. This was, I was still back in India and realized the action was in the U.S. Came here for my master's in journalism in new media um, and have basically been in what it whatever new media is called now, because I don't think no. it's called new media. Just it's media, just right? Media. And, uh, and well, I'm an accidental media entrepreneur. A blog, turned on to blogs very early. That led to me creating what well, my, my first blog called paidcontent.org, which if you've been yeah. in media for a while, you would, you would remember. Um, if you're below 30, you probably don't know what paid content was. And... Uh, so I built that into a company and sold it to the Guardian Media Group out of UK in 2008. Raised a little bit of money for it, um, very little, half million dollars. And with uh, travel for two years uh, and then started what my current company is called Skift, which is a travel business media intelligence company focused on the global business of travel. Uh, very large sector, global sector. It's actually an agglomeration of many subsectors. And we are 11 years into our journey now, have raised money for this as well, but I'm guessing this is what we'll talk about. We have not raised, in the scheme of things, we've raised about 3 million or so. And I haven't raised money, haven't had a need to in the last eight years or so. So we're profitable as a company, growing well, pandemic reset our business. We can get into that if we need to. 
uh, our business is uh, news, research, conferences, and now a new addition to our business, which is advisory sort of consulting business that um, we launched is still very early stages. So uh, three and then a fourth fourth business uh, unit. We have also been acquisitive. We've bought three uh, newsletters slash sites over the last four years. We're in the market to buy more. We're actively um, looking to grow. But still a boutique company. We, we call ourselves a boutique, at least from a philosophy perspective. 75 people, globally distributed company. Um, I would humbly say the most influential media force today in the global business of travel. Well, I think it goes beyond that, right? And and I want to talk about Skiff separately in a second, but go back to that idea of accidental entrepreneur. I love that because, and I, actually you've just talked about philosophy. I love the idea that your, your starting point is not, I'm going to make a business. Is that right? Is that a fair well, I mean, certainly, certainly nobody starts in media thinking I'm going to be rich. So that part, that part has never happened, honestly. Um, it happened briefly, I guess, when I sold my first company, but even that sort of went away. Um, so yeah, my family is an academic family. My father was, a, was a professor in biochemistry bio back in India and, um, my sister, elder sister, is a doctor, so we come from a family of academics. And in our extended family, in our relatives, there's no business blood, yeah. if you will. And so I was a journalist. Journalists aren't meant to know business side in general. Um, but I was covering the business of media, which I guess gave me a little bit of a leg up, meaning I was c- covering what ended up I was learning about the businesses and how to create them while I was covering it as well. Um, but I learned everything on the job. I mean, CPMs, et cetera, yeah. things that I learned on the job while I was initially starting paid content. I learned how to ask for money. Um, and that continues to be, you know, 20, 25 years in the biggest, the, the simplest thing in how you build a business, you've got to mm-hmm. learn to ask for money. Um, and if you can't, then you can't build a business. And, Turns out you can learn to ask for money if what you're selling is what you 100%, 1000% believe in. Meaning if I was asking for money on somebody else's behalf, I would not be successful. This is something that I've created. I 1000% believe in. It was true in my first company, true in my second company. And so, and over the years in my first company, I was the editorial talent. I was in, I was a journalist that was just creating this. In my second company, I'm the business person. Um, but I always have, I mean, once a journalist, always a journalist. I'm not editorial at Skift, but I'm a journalist still at heart. And so I'm very involved with, uh, setting the big picture for Skift in general. What are the themes we're covering? What is the research we're doing? We, um, it's not just news, it's also research as well. What are the themes for our conferences? So very involved editorially. So I still look at the world from a lens of editorial. And uh, it's just that I think the difference between me as a media entrepreneur versus anybody else as a media entrepreneur. And it, I think it shows in our quality, hopefully. Well, one of the things I, I wanted to ask about Skift was if if paid content was this this evolving, almost accidental thing, was Skift much more intentional? Was your starting point much yeah. more intentional? Yeah, it was much more intentional. And also people said that, oh, you did it once, so it's easy the second time, easier the second time. It's not. I don't know. I mean, it certainly doesn't feel like it ever. 
Um, and yes, the second one was I had a I had a pitch deck. It was a pitch to investors. There was a um, there were financial projections. I don't know if we uh, I think those are total total made up projections as most of them are. If you're starting something like what do you know? You don't know. Um, and so, yes, it was a, a more deliberate. We raised seed funding. We uh, we hired people pretty deliberately along the way. Um, we added subscriptions. We added conferences deliberately. Well, conferences was was sort of a, a rescue plan because we initially raised money and were unable to raise the subsequent round. And conferences bring in immediate cash flow. So we launched a conference in 2014 because we were running out of money. And so the good news was that that first conference was a huge hit for us. So that saved us in many ways from a, from a cash flow perspective. One of the things that I've sort of learned about myself as an, as a media entrepreneur, a couple of things. One is I'm not a data led entrepreneur. Like I'm a very instinctive entrepreneur. I don't, if you ask me what the monthly traffic for Skift is, I can quickly find it for you, but I don't know at the top of the top of the head. My co-founder Jason Clampett, who's the who's now the chief product officer, was the was the editor in chief. So he and I were two sides of the of the same coin. He's very much a data-led person. At least one of us is. So um, so I'm not a I'm an instinctive entrepreneur. I have a sense of media consumption habits of people, uh, a sense of what is news. Um, what will resonate. So that's um, certainly one of the biggest things I've, I've learned about myself as a as a. That's person. kind of against the narrative, right? Because the narrative is it's all data, it's all scale, it's all get as much money as you can to start off. So a lot of what you just said in the last four or five minutes goes against that, that narrative. Um Yes, uh, I can't change myself, but um, the I think that it's a slower path, certainly, that what we've taken, and but we've ended up in a place where uh, we have survived everything, like whatever nuclear threat yeah. that media businesses can face, we have survived everything. We survived not being able to raise money, which happens, as you know, in, in a lot of media companies' life cycles, where they initially get some money and they're unable to raise money. We have survived. Um, COVID certainly. COVID was was a death blow. Should have been a death blow to our company because we were focused on the business of travel. One hundred percent of our revenues came from the travel industry. Travel industry was shut. The most affected sector in all sectors. Uh, so we survived COVID somehow. Uh, we survived. This uh, is a minor blip, but it was just a a blip that went like this and this, which was Silicon Valley Bank. All of our money was in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley Bank. So we survived that, but that was like a three-day nightmare, absolute nightmare. Um, so we're at this point, we're set as a company. Like it's just up to us from here. Like we're never saying never. I don't. We have we've passed the rubric where we will fail. So so it's a it's a slower path. We have been set back three years in terms of revenue because yeah. of COVID. So we're sort of now at the path where we would have been if, you know, we, 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 we lost three years. So, but that's it. That's, um, I think from a quality perspective, I would say humbly that we're probably the most premium and we can define what that means. Premium B2B media brand there is today. 
in terms of quality, in terms of what people expect from us, in terms of if you come to our conferences of what you will see and feel and, and, and experience. Um, there, there aren't that many premium B2B media brands. I would say business of fashion, um, based out of London is very much a premium B2B media brand. It means that everything they do comes with quality. Um, that type of quality requires investment. It takes time. I would rival ourselves against any B2B, forget any B2B, any media company today in the world. Um, so I think that's the, the, the long answer to your question is yes, I'm not as data led, but I am very profit. Like I, I'm, I'm very, I want to be profitable. We, we, we are profitable. Um, I would like to be more profitable. So that's a path we're on. So I would say even if I'm not data led, I certainly have the business sense. Otherwise, we wouldn't have survived. So what's the mistake that other media brands make then? Oh, well, if there's one mistake or is there many mistakes, I don't know. But when you look out there and you see yeah. these yourselves and then you can name a couple of other premium brands when you look out you see all these other brands what mistakes are they making and there's no as you said there's no one specific large mistake i think most of them are i've talked about this quite a bit i think you know this um many of the, at least the consumer ones raise too much money and then the expectations get warped um you can't be a one-trick pony meaning a single source of revenue never works in media, never. Um, you have to bring, this is particularly true for B2B media. You have to bring all business models along, meaning, yes, it's subscriptions. Yes, it's advertising. Yes, it's conferences. Typically, there, there, there are exceptions like Industry Dive, which uh, I think, you know, Sean, Sean Griffey's company, they are probably, they, they don't have, Subscription revenue, they don't have event revenue. They're purely advertising, but they're focused on leads as a thing that they sell um, to their client base. But they also have now marketing services as well. So it's not a single business model at all. Um, so I think it's many of the companies that we've, that you, you have talked about on your podcast in the past that have failed are failing are because of warped expectations on, um, on their, or they've expanded beyond their core into, oh, we have, we've been able to do this in this one part. Let's do this in 20 other adjacent, uh, things. And turns out they fail or that their distribution is based on third parties. This we already know what the answer, uh, what, what, what has happened to that now. Facebook, Twitter, um, TikTok, whatever. Pick your, pick your, uh, poison there. And so distribution, creating direct relationships. I've said this, last thing I'll say on this. I think a lot of companies don't know what their core is. Like what is your reason for existence? Maybe they knew when they started, but they lost it along the way. Um, and I think that's, those are some of the, things that we think about a lot. I think a lot about relevance. How do we stay 11 years in? How do we stay relevant as a business? And really, honestly, that sounds ridiculous, but that's the one thing that keeps me up at night. Like, are we, are we relevant? Um, How do you figure that out? And What's your benchmarks for relevance? Um, again, this will show you I'm not the most <laughs> uh, data-led person. But instinct, instinct here matters. Um, some of it is quality of editorial. Are we breaking the stories in this industry? Just when, as we're recording this podcast, we broke what in online travel, which is a part of the on travel industry, online travel is the booking sites. We just broke a story from Dennis Shal, who's my executive editor, also my employee number one. A big, big story. Like it's the biggest story in online travel in years. He broke yesterday, not yesterday, day before. 
um, is just causing waves everywhere. Um, I j- we've been getting notes from people saying great coverage, etc. So breaking news or enterprise reporting that nobody else is doing. Certainly it's old school um, quality of editorial. So this is true for research reports as well. If we're doing research reports, that industry is is responding to. So that's one metric. I speak to a lot of industry people. This is my non-scientific, does not scale part of the of of what I do. I speak to at least this is two people every day in the industry. Every day, so I mean it averages out to yeah, that yeah. on the phone these days yeah, on video. Yeah. I'm meeting somebody later today. Just came out of the blue um, last night. Like somebody was in town, so I'm meeting them. Um, Later today. So that happens a lot where I'm speaking to industry people a lot. Um, so I get feedback on, um, and we keep ourselves very visible as you've seen very, I'm very accessible. Our editorial is very accessible on LinkedIn and, and Twitter, which doesn't matter as much anymore. Um, LinkedIn really is, is big for us. So, uh, keeping us high profile. It's not like the journal is knocking on my doors doing 20 stories on us. So we have to toot our own horn. And actually that there's a method to that madness, if you will. Sometimes we overdo it. But um, but again, we have to do it. Nobody else is going to do it for us. Um, and then, the, <laughs> you know, we're relevant if we're making money and growing. And turns out we're making money and, and growing. We I said we're we've taken the slow route. We are growing 15 to 20 percent dollar wise every year. So it's not 11 years in. That's, I would say, pretty good for not having raised money for a, a while. So I would say those are um, some of the KPIs. Not all parts of the business are, are amazing. Some parts, uh, it's just an, a fact of life. Like everything looks amazing from outside. Um, but there are parts of the business that we are struggling with that will true for any company, however well they're doing. We're trying to figure out how to reinvent this part of the business or how to make this part of the business relevant again, but we're strong in these parts. So all of that push and pull, it's never easy. I mean, you but know, you've also, you've also been brave enough to say, this isn't working. We're, we're not doing this anymore, right? You had your, you went down the wellness, yeah. the wellness route for a little while and then. We, we did, uh, in the restaurant world and the wellness world and just didn't work for us. Um, this was our theory of related sectors, travel, food, and wellness, which in my mind was the business of leisure. Meaning if you have disposable mm. income, this is where you're going to spend it. You're going to spend it on travel or food, or sorry, restaurants, F&B, what they call, or you're going to spend it on wellness. In theory, that sounds great. Even in practicality, probably could work. Meaning if I was a larger resource company that could make a go, um, or I started with any of the other sectors and maybe the, um, there's a company in our, uh, in the B2B world called Questex, uh, which is a large private equity owned firm that actually is focused on the business of leisure. It does have these elements. I wasn't thinking of them when I was thinking of this, but it just so happened that now they're focused on the business of leisure. Um, it can be done. It's just that we, I, as an entrepreneur, have learned that I'm not a multi-sector entrepreneur. I can go deep into mm. one sector. And the only way I can describe it, again, not a scientific way, is if I can put my arms around a sector, I can build a business around it. If I can get excited about the sector, if I'm not that excited about a sector, like the the business of restaurants, I love eating, but I, you know, do I care about the business of restaurants beyond a certain point? No. 
do I care about the business or wellness beyond a certain point? Not at all. And so it's just that I have to be excited about a subject matter. That's part of the problem with invested companies or people that are working with VCs or private equity, that they're more excited about the deals than they are about the business. Um, I wouldn't, it's not as simplistic. And I, look, I've covered venture capital, I've covered private equity as a journalist. And I also happen to know a lot of people in the venture capital community at all stages, as well as private equity. The the narrative in media, and you this will come as no surprise to you, uh, gets simplified a lot. And there is a place for all types of money in media. You just have to know what investors' expectations are, and the, ex- the investors are in it to give a return to their investors. It just is. Like, there's no altruistic, whatever they say, there's no altruism beyond a certain point. Um, and if typically media companies don't have the venture returns, it just, the structurally, we're not built to have 10x, 20x, 100x returns, maybe 10x in a great scenario, uh, but not 100x returns, which is what makes the fund, the investors money. This is, I'm talking venture capital end of the scale. Private equity is a different one. Um, both have roles, particularly part of the world that I know very well, B2B media. Uh, in venture capital, if your investors are patient and not raise too much money and they're not looking towards you to return their fund and more, there are chances that you will do decently well anywhere from 5 to 10x money returned to investors. Again, this is not venture scale, but this is enough for early stage seed individual investors type of the on private equity. Um, it certainly has a role in B2B media. Um, consumer side is, is more questionable. And uh, personally, I don't see a, our company. I don't want to sell our company to private equity because typically what it really depends on the entrepreneur. Then you're on a cycle, meaning you're on a five-year cycle, three to five-year cycle where there are good chances that your fate becomes being passed around from one private equity to another. There are some people that are totally up for it. I, as an entrepreneur, am not up for that That ride, which is, sure, maybe I take investment now from one private equity, um, but then I have no guarantee that this pass around will end at some point. Um, and not all private equity is equal, same as not our venture capital is equal. There's sort of private equity that is buying something to milk a company's cash flow or profits out of the business, um, sort of vulture capital, if you will. There's that, as you know, plenty in the newspaper industry. In the B2B world, typically uh, they're growth private equity investors that are there um, to help you grow, to help them give a return, obviously. And so I do have a nuanced view. It's just that it's not for everyone and it has to be done with your eyes open uh, and you know even in private equity you know that you can quickly grow for instance your profits from uh, you can double your profits in three years for instance because they're very much focused on the profitability part of the business less even less so on the top line part of the business which is more venture capital part of the world and so all of those things and all of those things you learn some people play it very well like as i mentioned industry dive sean played it very well. Not that it's a game, but he sort of played it very well. He took veg- he didn't take money early on at all, took private equity, was only in it for X number of years, but really grew the company. And 
and then exit it to a to a, to Informa, which now permanently owns it. So I don't think there can be a more better script written if there was a script written uh, from that perspective. Nine out of ten times it doesn't happen that way. So so that's um, that's typically you know that's my n- nuanced view of of never take venture capital, never take private equity. So it's not never. It's just not often. It not often and reality is from a from a founder perspective do you you know the the equation that you run in your head is i own a large part of a small business versus small part of a large business and in the end of the day where will i make end up making more money and if the answer is turns out owning a large part of a small business will actually earn you more money at the end of the day that's what you stick to in nine times out of ten in media world, it's the former answer. Former is large part of a small business is a lot better than small part of a large business. Is it just? It's not just about money though, right? It's about being able to do the things that you want to do. Correct, a hundred percent. I mean, the I I like this word um, called optionality, which is a financial term that you have all options open ahead of you. Any path you take is really up to you, and so you can maximize your choices versus being led down a path and sort of forced into something. And by not taking too much money, this is true for us as a company, I have every optionality ahead of us. I don't have a board. I We have investors. I totally 100% want to give them returns. It's just that they're not basing their returning the fund or their retirement based on my money that they invested in, my small amounts they've invested. And so... Yes, you build the business with fiduciary duty, as in like you you have shareholders. You're going to give you know you 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 have to grow this responsibly. Um, that just comes, I guess, naturally. It, it's not like something I think about every day, but it just mm-hmm. comes naturally for me. It's very much about impact in the industry. I want to be the most influential force in an industry. Paid content was that for a certain period of time, and it lost it. Uh, uh, after we got sold particularly um, skipped today and will continue I want to continue to increase its global influence the thing about travel versus some other sectors is that it's such an inherently global sector which is just a joy like, like you cannot I can't um, emphasize that enough the joy that I can pivot to any part of the world if another if one part of the world is not doing so well and the fact that I can seamlessly talk about two completely separate parts of the world in in one breath and not miss a beat is just from a creative challenge perspective is an amazing uh, thing to have is that part of that premium thing you know the idea that you want to control that and take it out to the world and you're not having someone else saying okay you've got to do it this way because that's where the return is you can actually say no, I want to do it this way because that's a better product. Yeah, so very much the quality, the details matter. One of the things I try and tell our team a lot is that everything matters. This, I will give you an example of a conference, you know, our conferences, and you come to it and you'll see it matters what the check-in experience is. It mat like everything reflects the brand. Everything reflects. Um, uh, the quality of our, of our editorial, the chairs on the stage, the lighting on the stage, the music that comes on, everything has to reflect Skift. 
um, are editorial. Um, do we get editorial right 100% of the time? Of course not. Uh, the you know we produce so many stories. I'm sure X percent were totally irrelevant stories that didn't make any sense in hindsight or even in the moment. Everything matters for us. You know, we we don't get all stories right all the time. I'm sure there's X percent of stories or research reports or conferences that we do that are not relevant. But if we're aiming, if we're not even aiming for it all the time, then what's the point? That's what I tell my team is that the the details matter. We won't put out any document, for instance, on Skip's behalf that doesn't have a certain sense of quality, even on the sales side. Um, so, so for us, that part is very important. Okay, so that brings me to my AI question. You've taken a very different approach to AI uh, yes. than, than a lot of publishers are. Is that where that's coming from? Is that the premium thing again? So there's a little bit of history to my personal interest, which is that I'm a technically computer engineer. I've never done anything after I finished uh, my my degree in computers, except for covering as a journalist. I've not done any technical thing myself personally. We did have in the final year in 1995. I finished in 96. A course on AI. Uh, I don't remember for the life of me what that was. Um, uh, it was actually called artificial intelligence. Even back then, as you know, the term has existed yeah, yeah. for decades, from like 50s or something, if I if I know it correctly. Um, we did learn about neural networks. Neural networks are the base of which machine learning and everything else is based. So something clicked in my head as soon as ChatGPT launched on November 28, 2022. And so I think there's a personal like something going back to muscle memory that got activated. But also a bunch of the things that we've wanted to do around data and information versus the media part of the business from the start of Skift that we weren't able to do because we were just a no. small company, not a tech company. Many of those are now possible because of where the technology of AI is today, the, 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 the next gen generative AI things. So in many ways, we're picking up, we're coming a full circle as a business of like, oh, we're creating what we want, what we try to call data services as just services. Um, and also something in my head clicked when I saw, I forget somebody early in February, maybe, um, where the generative AI was trained on um, le- um, sort of legal information and you and lawyers could ask legal questions and sort of something clicked in my head to say, oh, we could be the expert in travel. Being able to become the expert at questions that the industry has, travel industry has, travel executives have, people who read us, versus us just presenting them packages. I I present to you a story. I present to you a, a research report. I present to you a conference. It's a package that we have created. They can choose to consume or not to consume. Versus a Query-based relationship. You have a question, we have an answer. Um, is a high bar. Like typically software data-led products have that bar versus mm-hmm. media. And so generative AI um, gave me the idea that we could actually become that expert because we already have all the answers in the, his- in the historical 11 years of stories and research reports and conferences and earnings calls because we cover a lot of public companies. Earnings calls and and public company filings, so not just our content, but content from from outside as well. 
that we can train our LLM on. And so we launched uh, now two months ago Ask Gift, which is our chatbot trained on yeah. our historical archives and also financial documents from public companies that U.S. public companies today. We're, we're, we're expanding the, the the scope of it as we go along. Um, and uh, and at no other point in a small company like ours will we get a chance to be called pine to be to be known as pioneers. So there's a little bit of of that where like in which other sector would anybody ever consider us a pioneer? Um, so I I want to I want to get a taste of it. Um, so like we are certainly on the vanguard on on this. Our small dev team of four people. Uh, have learned this stuff and, and creating this stuff. Uh, is it going to change our business dramatically? No. Is it changing it today in two months? No. Um, it will take time. The Q&A based relationship with our users, the users, our audience has, has not done that before with us. It will take sure. years to, to retrain them. It will also depend on larger services like Google and others. P- if people are used to moving away from search to yeah. Q&A, then they will do – so if, if, they, if they change their habits in the larger sphere, then, then we have a chance. What we're doing in the meanwhile – so the, the, the usage of the chatbot is okay. Is it amazing? No. Is it uh, enough that we want to continue to build on it? Yes. What we are doing – and again, you build it. People will come. Obviously, that doesn't happen. We have to market, continue to market it as part of the subscription service. So it's not a free chatbot. If you're paying subscriber to Skift, you get access to it. Uh, we keep improving the technical foundation of it, meaning that the new version has better answers than what it was a month ago than what it was two months ago. So we have we've we've rebuilt the back end a couple of times. That's purely a function of the technology is much better two months yeah. later than it was two months ago. So there's that part. The other part that we're doing is we're actually creating articles based on AI trained on our content. So there's controversy, as you know, about AI-generated content. Theoretically, there isn't in ours because we are creating stories that we're not hiding at all. It's actually the headline says, Ask Gift. Like it's not, we can, it cannot be more clear. And we also, not just in the headline, we also say it in the body of the story at the top. And this is a story. So we don't, it's not typical stories. These are explainers or backgrounders or timelines, sort of those three categories, I would say. Related categories, but they're you could call them explainers, I guess, uh, in a single word. Um, we did something about why summer – this just came out, I think, yesterday maybe or day before. Why summer travel is so problematic and what – and so it's a business story, but also sort of a little bit of a consumery angle to it. And we asked our chatbot a few different questions and it gave answers on here's why there's a bottleneck in U.S. Um, here's how companies respond. Here's how travelers respond. Here are some of the solutions. Um, so we've come up with a format actually of creating these. And, um, and it's a sub, it's also a, a way to market us gift as a usage thing. Like people, if they read stories to say, oh, yes, Gift can answer some of my queries. Um, but also um, it's become a good way. So um, long story short, your question was why I'm an, an optimist. I think it's a superpower in many ways for us. Um, we're using it to gen- to suggest headlines. We're using it to generate SEO tags. We're using it to um, generate summaries of our research reports, of our stories, 
uh, we're using it to uh, generate images. Uh, we're not using many images, only on feature stories. And we, we, we um, again, common sense. This is the advantage of a small company. Common sense guidelines that that um, that can't get abused because there are not too many people in the in the pool in the pool um, helps. And so it, it also helps on AI, particularly if the mandate comes from the top. This, I think, it will, will be true in any company. If it doesn't come from the top, if, if it's just a, um, if the if the top management or the or the founders, etc., haven't bought into it, it'll be very hard. Um, so I don't worry about the existential threats. I just don't have the time. Like I don't. Plus, there's nothing I can no. do about it. I, as a small entity in this universe, have no control over these no. things. So there's a little bit of that Buddhist Zen attitude, like what you can't control, you can't be worried about. Um, and so, um, so that's kind of how, how I approach it. And the fact that I've communicated that to our team such that they don't think it's a threat to their job versus how do I use the tools to make my work faster, better, more scalable, if you will, if that's what's needed. Um, I have had zero thoughts. Like it's hard. I've had zero thoughts of, of saying that I'm going to lay off people or something because AI is going to take, it just doesn't enter my, even my mind. For me, it's, oh, I can do things more scalable, more faster, more differently or new things. So that's kind of the only way that I think um, today, that's the only way to wrap your head around it. Because otherwise, it's just theory. Well, it's, it's these stories you hear from bigger companies that are literally looking at it as a way of cutting costs. Those are the ones that are just like, they're depressing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're the ones getting yeah, in trouble. Exactly. And you see this with, with I think I saw something, on, like there was something in Gizmodo, which is a tech blog that I've seen around for a long time. They got it wrong. CNET got it wrong. Um, anytime, yeah, you're, you're trying to uh, undercut different ways to do it well it's the exact opposite of your premium philosophy right yeah i think i think it stems from that you're right um if you know your core and you know that what you have to create for your audience has to be premium everything else sort of flows from it if you will Well, thank you so much to Rafa for taking part in this episode of Big Noises. And thanks again to Glide Publishing Platform for their support, not just for this episode, but for the entire series. So thanks again to Glide. That means we've almost come to the end of this Big Noises series from Media Voices. Peter, we have one more guest definitely lined up. Who are we talking to? Stuart Forrest, who is Global SEO Director at Bauer Media. But Stuart, before that, has been at Future. He's been at Immediate. And he's been at Haymarket. Um, that's three pretty big, four pretty big boxes ticked there. So I'm really, really looking forward to talking to Stuart um, about our favourite subject, platforms. <laughs> if there's no, one thing that publishers are just like very chill about, it's platforms. It'll be, it'll be all about platforms and how you can use them to make your media business perfect. Nice. Oh. <laughs> Right, well, until until we're back for that fantastic chat, thank you so much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.